So when I was younger, my grandparents had about 80 to 100 acres down in the Bristol Hills, just north of Naples, south of Canandaigua, kind of up on a hillside. You could see Canandaigua Lake down below. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful piece of property. They had a, a farm pond on there with bass in it that I stole from our neighbor's pond next door. Um, just confessing to you this morning. <laughs> I don't even know if I ever knew about that. But anyways... Um, and this was a great piece of property. When I was younger, you know, I used to make trails and I used to love going up there every weekend and just a, a, a great upbringing. And so my dad said, when I was about eight years old, my dad said, would you like a mini bike? And I said, nah, I don't want a mini. No, I said, yeah, let's get a mini bike. So my dad got me a mini bike and I would kind of ride around the yard. Didn't have a lot of power, but it could at least get me around. Couldn't get me up the hills, but it could get me around uh, the cabin and stuff. And then, and then when I got a little older, about 15, I said, Dad, you know, I'd like to get a dirt bike. Do you think do you think we could get a dirt bike? And he's like, Okay. So the whole story behind the dirt bike is he goes, if you go to youth group one time, one time is his bribe. He said, I will help you get a dirt bike and you can ride it up at the cottage. I'm like, Okay, yeah, that sounds like a good deal. Let's do it. So I go and then I end up getting saved at youth group the first time I went. So that was really good. And here I am today. But anyways, that's a whole nother side story, um, which is really cool. But so I had this dirt bike and um, we got to ride it. And I had a friend of mine that grew up on the street that I grew up in Arundaquay and his parents had property across the street. From us, and he also had some property and he had a dirt bike and my cousin had a dirt bike. So we'd all ride together. We were the three amigos. We were, we were, you know, hitching and a ride and get up on the highway. I mean, we were, we were the dudes, man. We were, we were the Bristol rebels. So anyway, so we had this, we had, we had our dirt bikes and you know, 80 acres, 100 acres, that, that's a lot of property. And then plus his 20 plus acres. But how many know after about a day we got bored? So we got bored riding our trails. And so we had this great idea. It says, hey, let's go take our, let's go ride on other people's property. Let's just go out exploring, right? So we're, you know, at this point, it was just a dirt road. And we're going on the dirt road and we're looking for somebody else's property. So we go and, and you see the sign right there that says posted, right? No trespassing, you know, you know, prosecution to the full extent of the law or my shotgun, whatever, whatever comes first, right? But did that stop us? Of course not. Of course it didn't stop us. So we were riding on everybody else's property, and we, I'm telling you, man, we had a blast. But always in the back of my mind, I knew that I was trespassing on someone else's property, right? So we would still, we'd still ride around other people's property and just have, having, having a good old time until a guy on a three-wheeler, remember the three-wheelers? Those were real safe, right? Um, chased us down one time. So being the person that I am, I was the first in lead and I took off. No, I'm just saying that I stayed behind and my, and my cousin and my, my good friend left me behind with the guy with his Glock on his side in this three-wheeler in the middle of the woods in the Bristol Hills. The, nothing could go wrong here, right? So the guy says, what do you guys think you're doing? And, and I said, well, I said, well, my grandfather, well, what property? I said, my grandfather owns property. He said, oh, yeah, I know Anthony Gerace. He goes, well, do you know you're trespassing? And, you know, I said, hmm, I could say one of two things. I could say, oh, I didn't know we were on your property. We were just riding and we kind of go from my grandfather's probably read it and i said yeah i said yeah we did he goes listen it's okay if you're riding here just 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 let me know but what's interesting about this is we went to one property and the grass was about this high and it was just this huge field and so we said man let's just let's just open up our our motorcycle see how fast we can go through this field 
Well, what I didn't realize in the field, there were stumps that were cut about this high that you couldn't see in the grass. So you know it's coming. So we're flying through there, and I hit one of these stumps. I hit this stump so hard. My cousin and my friend were behind me. I, the bike flipped. I went way up in the air. I went so high up in the air that when I landed, I landed on my best friend's motorcycle on the back seat, just going with it. No, I'm just lying. I'm teasing. I just want to see if you guys are listening. I just want to see if you're listening, okay? Just Some of you fall asleep in the early service. I just want to see if you're listening. But no, what happened is my, my gear shifter hit the stump. And it, it, it literally took my foot down and I was trapped on the bike. And, and my dad always told me, Barden, if you're going to go around, I always want you to wear steel toe boots. I had steel toe boots and otherwise it would have completely broke my foot. And so I completely wiped out and I'm on the ground. Saying, Why did we go on other people's property? Why? Did we? God, you're judging us, right? And here's the thing. Isn't it interesting that many times we know what the law is? but we still don't obey it. What is it about the proclivity of our hearts that says, I know that this is wrong, but I still do it. And, and what I want you to catch that, even though I knew it was wrong, right? None of those people have property. It didn't stop me. Why is it that when we see the speed limit, we know what the limit is, Ruth Brooks, and we still, right? And we just, we know what it is, But there's something about us that when we see that law, we know what the law is. We know what what we should not do. But yet something in the proclivity of our heart breaks that law. And within that field was these dangers, these stumps that we didn't see, that we didn't know about because we didn't own that property. And see, we're at this point in our study of the book of Exodus where the Israelites are at Mount Sinai. God leads them through. You know, the opening of the Red Sea leads him through, through the plagues. He gets them out of Egypt. And then he leads them to this cosmic mountain of just, just scariness. God's voice speaks through it. There's thunder. There's smoke. And here Moses goes up and receives these commandments from God. So here's where we are in our, our story of Exodus. God gives Moses these laws. These thou shall not. This is what I don't want you to do. Now, how many of us know, if you read anything about the Bible, we, we understand some of the laws of God, right? We understand about, about the, you know, don't murder, don't lie, don't, we, we, we get some, we understand that you don't have to be a biblical scholar to understand some of what the laws are. But there's something about the giving of the law that we didn't keep. Did Israel keep perfectly the letter of the law? They didn't. So my question to you here this morning is, why did God give us the law knowing fully in advance that we were going to break it? Was it just to set us up to show us that we are failures? What was the purpose of the giving of the law? And then as you get deeper, because some of the things you can get, like, okay, I get don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't sell. Okay, some of these things I just get. Don't covet with your neighbors. Some of these things I just get. But as you get deeper into the law, if you read further in some of Exodus, you get a law like don't cook a young goat in its mother's milk. What, what does that have to do with me here today? Unless you live in Wayne County, that, make, that might make a little more sense, okay? But most of us don't own goats, right? So what does this mean? So here's the thing. Do we still have to celebrate all the feasts that God required in the Old Testament? What does this have to do with us today? Because what we've done is, 
you, if, you, if you live in our society, live, I'm living in our society, we look at these laws, and, and many of these moral laws are implemented in our society to keep our society from going chaotic. But it still doesn't stop people from doing it who are aware of the consequences that happens when you break these laws. So when you think about all the thou shall nots, don't do this, don't do that, do, do we falsely believe that God is just trying to rob us of our freedom or, or, or fun of any kind? What is the purpose? And I think that's the way many people look at Christianity. It's like, well, it's no fun. I mean, God just, if I become a Christian and God's going to take all of my fun and is God trying to rob us of our joy? So what I want to do right off the bat is I want to give you two reasons why God gave the law. Here's the reason, Here's the reason why, because I think we have a misunderstanding about the law. And it's not a joy sucker. It wasn't just to suck the joy out of your life to make your life miserable. Okay, what is the purpose of God giving us the law, knowing in advance that we weren't going to follow it? So why does he give us the law? Let me give you a couple of things here, first of all. First of all, the law lets us know that we're sick. The law lets us know that we are sick. We are all spiritually sick. We've all fallen short of God's per- perfection. Now, how many of you... You don't like guardrails. You don't like guardrails on bridges. When, when you go over a bridge and you see a guardrail, how many of you say, how dare that person put a guardrail on this bridge? I'm offended. I'm offended by guardrails. How many of you are offended by guardrails? I, if you're offended by a guardrail, there's, there's a nut loose in your brain, right? We, we, if you go over the Bay Bridge on 104, in the wintertime when there's lake effect snow, how many are you glad for those guardrails? Right? Otherwise, you're going off 80 feet in the Irunaquite Bay. We like those guardrails. See, little children don't understand why they can't cross 104 on their own. They don't understand the danger of oncoming traffic as the parents do. And so what we see is we see that we need to understand that we are spiritually sick, that on our own, that left up to our own demise, we can get ourselves in trouble. Can I have an amen? Right? We all understand. So, so it, it's, it's a, it, 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 these guardrails restrain us from, from going over the edge. And, and parents restrain their kids because parents know better. Um, they want their children to live. God knows better. He wants us to live. And so what the law does is it shows us that there's something wrong with us, that we need protection in our lives. So, so the law is good in that way. That doesn't necessarily mean we're going to obey it, but it lets us know this is right, this is wrong. Here's the guardrails that I want to set up in your life. And if you obey these things, your life will be blessed. I'm not taking away my joy. I'm actually allowing you to walk in the freedom in the confines of these guardrails that I'm setting up for your life. So thank God for those guardrails. It's interesting when you talk with kids that either grew up with no guardrails in their life or the kids that, that grew up with guardrails in their life. And it's interesting that when those kids get older, how many of them are thankful for the perimeters that their parents set up for them? And how many times they're thankful that their parents actually said no? Now, kids don't like no at the time. And there's sometimes that they don't understand why. But the older you get, you're like, man, mom and dad, I am so glad you said no to that. Because that would have got me in trouble, right? We may not appreciate it at the time. 
But as we grow older and as we mature, we understand that these things are for our good, not for our demise. The second thing I want you to see about the law is that the law lets us know what is actually pleasing to God. So God gets very specific. Here's what's pleasing to me. And and, and in fact, the law um, works the opposite that we might think. The Bible tells us that the law is good and it leads to life. The Bible tells us that Jesus came to fulfill this law and through Christ we can find life and life everlasting. The purpose of the law was to show our need for God. Wow, I have fallen short. Man, I have really, really messed up here. And so the law acts like this diagnostic machine or a spiritual MRI to show us what's going on in our hearts and our lives that we've missed God, that this is how you, you please God. And so the law is good. And so I want you, I want us to read concerning the law here and why God brings the law to Israel and specifically shows them how they want to live their life. So, so if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 20. This is where we read about the law, God giving the law to Moses, God showing his expectations for Israel And so these are the words that are spoken by God. And so let me read the Ten Commandments to you because there's a lot of neat little nuggets in here that we might miss if we're not careful as we read through the word. So Exodus chapter 20, if you want to turn there, grab the Bibles in front. If you want to read along, make sure that I'm reading the right thing here. Okay. Got Bibles in the pews where you can look up at the screens. Let's look at this Ten Commandments, starting with Exodus chapter 20. It says, and God spoke these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the father to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall uh, not do any work, neither you nor your son, your daughter, your manservants, maidservants, nor any animals, nor alien within your gates. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's within them, But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Verse 12, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's bass boat. You shall not cover your neighbor. I'm just making sure you guys are listening here, okay? Make sure, pastor, read the right word here. Your neighbor's wife, your maidservant, or ox, donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. And when the people, verse 18, when the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled in fear and they stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. Do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Mm, 
that is rich right there. The fear of God is to be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So what is the common theme we see in these 21 verses of Exodus 20? Well, God wanted to have this relationship with them. Not not simply just follow a bunch of rules. He wanted to have a relationship. He wanted them to understand his holiness and how perfect he was that you couldn't come to the mountain without dying. He wanted them to know, listen, this is my relationship. I'm a holy God. Uh, Nothing unholy can come before me, but I'm going to make a way that you can approach me by consecrating yourself through the sacrificial system. And so I want you to understand something about these Ten Commandments because they're very interesting. Because the first four commandments revolve around our vertical relationship with God. God first says, listen, you get this in order, everything else will follow. If you get... If you understand my brothers by, by putting no one else before me, nor other gods before me, if you understand this, everything else is going to flow correctly in your life. So it's this vertical relationship. And then the last six, six commandments revolve around our horizontal relationships with each other. So God says, I want your relationship with me to be correct, and I want your relationships with one another to be correct. When your relationship is correct with me, it's going to overflow in your relationships to one another. So when Jesus was questioned about which were the greatest commandments, he boiled the, the 613 laws basically into two. And Matthew 22, 36 through 40 tells us this. Here's the question. They said, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with what? Starts with our heart, right? With all your heart, with all your what? soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second one is equally important to do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on what? These two commandments. The most important thing is, do you love God and do you love your neighbor? Those are the two most, everything else will fall into place if you get these two things. And so the first four commandments hinge on the commandment to love God. It describes how we are to be loyal to God. Love is this action. It's not just words. How many of us know that we can do all these rules, but yet not love God? Listen, you can check off the box. Oh, I know. I'm very good. I can exegete the scriptures. whip de doo da day I say. If you don't love God, I don't care. I don't care how many rules you follow and what you don't do. And and you can look so pious and righteous on the outside, but yet not have the love of God in the inside of us. That's the problem that Jesus had with the Pharisees in his day. They were doing all these things. They looked very righteous on the outside. But what did Jesus say about them? You're just whitewashed tombs with dead men's bones inside of you. That's not very nice of Jesus to say that. He was calling it for what it was. See, God wants their heart. Does he want them to obey and follow his commands? Yes, yes, yes. But he says, you got to love me because when you love me, you're not going to have an issue with following these things. Right? It makes a totally different way of looking at this. See, if you've got two people and they're getting married and they stand before each other and say, I'm going to be faithful to you 99.99% of the time. Is that cool? Is that cool with you? How many of you know that's not going to fly? Because that's not a commitment. 
So God, how about if I follow five of the 10 commandments? Make a contract, I'll follow five, that's pretty good. Or how about I follow six, 60%, that's better than half, right God? See, that's what happens when we get legalistic and we get law-driven. Because we begin to set up our own standards. God says, "Uh uh-uh, I want everything. I don't want part of you. I don't want part of my relationship with you and our our married relationships. A married relationship is not 50-50. It's 100%. 100%. Everything you give to your spouse. The vow a couple makes before each other on their wedding day is not just words. It's a commitment to be loyal, faithful. You're making a covenant to be faithful. God not only tells us that he loves us, but he demonstrates it for us that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. That's the kind of God that loves us. He demonstrates it. He just didn't come and say, here's all these rules. Follow them. All of us would give up after a while, wouldn't we? Because we would fail miserably. So God speaks this covenantal language in verse 2 by saying, I am the Lord God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God initiated relationship with them. He says, look what I did for you. I brought you out. That's why I love the words of Exodus 19.4, where it says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and how I brought you to myself. That's covenantal language. I did all of this before. I did all of this for you. And so what God is, is God is reminding them that he is faithful to the covenant that he made with them. See, we don't want to hear the word covenant today. Here's the reason why. What's the difference between a covenant and a contract? The Ten Commandments are not a contract to be signed and obeyed, and that's it. If that were the case, that would suck the relationship God would want to have with them. And they no longer would want to follow. God says, listen, unless I have your heart, unless I have your heart, God was positioning them to say, listen, this is how I love you. I did everything for you. You didn't do it. Do it on your own. You didn't merit it. This is how much I love you. See, our relationship, our marriage should be seen in the same manner as a covenant. This is the language of vows that you make to your spouse. We're better for worse, which are poor, sickness and in health. I am committed to you, the characteristics of a contract are based on a limited time, are based, if you do this, I will do that mentality. Contract, contracts are meant to get something out of it. And this, sad to say, is the characteristic of most marriages. I'm not getting what I want to get out of it, so I'm out. And the characteristic of a covenant can be seen in how it benefits the other person. It speaks this unconditional language. There are no strings attached. A covenant is seen as permanent. Some of the most comforting covenantal words in Scripture are found in Deuteronomy 31.6, where God is, 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 this word is encouraging them not to give up. Not to give up in the promised land. It says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified of them. For the Lord your God is with you. He will never what? He will never what? Boy, that's, that's comforting words, right? It's comforting words. He says, I'm not, I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to leave you. Can we walk away from the Lord? You better believe it. Right? It's like, it's like this older couple, and they were in their car, and they saw this young couple in front of them. And this young couple had this, this 1966, right, Mustang. 
I actually saw one. That's the year I was born. I look at this guy and I said, that's a 66. And he said, yeah, I go, that's the year I was born. I'm coveting right now. I'm breaking one of the commandments, by the way. Really like your car. And so it's like this, this older couple and they look in, and, and, and they're looking at this young couple and they're seated right next. Remember those days when you, you, the bench seating, you could actually sit next to each other because you didn't have the bucket seats and you could actually sit right next to each other. How many remember those days? Remember those old cars? Sweet. Isn't that sweet? So they're sitting next and the old couple's behind them and the, and the ladies, and they're, and they're in their, their big impala, right? And, and they got the bench seat and she's way over on this side. You basically need to call each other because it's so wide, right? And she's sitting there and she's looking at her husband and she's saying, isn't that cute? Remember when we used to do that? And the husband says, I never moved. Right? Right? See, see, <laughs> see, <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing I want you to see. We move. God says, I'm faithful to my covenant. And here's why I'm establishing all these things. Because I love you. And I'm basing this on covenantal language. If I base this on a contract, you're going to fail miserably. And so God never moves. We do. Our hearts become hardened and stubborn. We become impatient. The gratitude of our salvation wanes many times of what God saved us from. Listen to the words. This is what God says in 19. Look at what I brought you out of. I've taken you out of this slavery. And I've taken you and I've placed you on eagles and I brought you to myself. Now, I know the wilderness isn't, isn't a, you know, it's not a five-star hotel. I, I realize that. But I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. I'm doing with, yeah, there are going to be trials. There's going to be the enemy before you. But am I going to leave you? No. I want to remind you that if I was faithful there, I'm going to be faithful here. I'm going to be faithful two weeks, a year, and five years from now. I will be faithful to you. These are my words to you. I do not lie. I will be faithful. But how many know we wane? And we get impatient. And we forget the salvation, the wonderful gift that God brought us and what he saved us from. Boy, aren't you thankful for what God brought you out of? A life that was destitute, headed towards hell. And God saved us out of the muck and the mire and brought us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. See, God's desire is that the law would go not just from a head knowledge, but to actually grabbing our hearts. I love this as a parent when a, when a child finally gets something that you're trying to teach them. Um, and, and they see why you did that or, 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 or why you're teaching that or why you discipline that way. Um, I, they say, I didn't understand it at first, but now I see. I see why you had these rules and, 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 and why you said no at times, and they finally get it. Isn't it interesting how the older you get, the smarter your parents get, right? We start to realize that. Um, remember when, remember when you were, you know, remember the age about 14 to 18, right? You thought you knew everything. And, and, and then you went to college and you got on your own. And you're like, oh, everything's not the way it should be, right? And, you know, we've sent two of our boys to college. And I was thinking when we took Wesley this year and we'd take him down to Liberty uh, University. And we're, we're like, Wesley, let me take you to this room on your floor. And we took him into this one room and there was all these machines. I said, Wesley, this is a washing machine. I know you've never seen one before. You have no idea what this thing is, okay? 
your mom's going to teach you how to do it because I don't know how to run it either. No, I'm just teasing. So your mom's going to show you how to do your clothes, right? So, um, you know, you're trying to think, did we teach our kids everything? Did we train them? You know, these are things. But as you get older, you realize these life lessons that you learned were for a reason. Maybe at the time they didn't make, make sense, but now they begin to make sense. You see, the Apostle Paul makes a great point concerning the law. Why the law then? Because why the posted sign? No trespassing. You're keeping me from having fun. I can't have fun on just 80 acres. I need all this other land to roam around it. Why the do not passing? Why can't I cross? And here's the interesting thing. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul gives this really great point concerning the law and its purpose. Okay, And he says this in verse 21 through 25. He says... Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? He says, absolutely not. If the law gives us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. How many know we could never do that? You break one, you break them all. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in who? Jesus Christ. He says, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under a guard by the law. We were, this is so good, this language. I love the way the NLT translates, it, translates this. It says, we were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. He said, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian. It was our babysitter until Christ came. It protected us. Until we could be made right with God through what? Underline that in your word. Faith. It wasn't obeying the law couldn't save, ultimately save us. It was a garden. It showed us the way to something greater that could save us. Verse 25. And now that they, now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. Now, do we throw out the law? No, the the law shows us our where our guardrails are. They can't save us. They can only put us under condemnation. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that because he fulfilled it perfectly in his life. You see, what the law does then is it points to our sin. It couldn't save me. See, and what we want to do is we want to think we're not that bad. It's this comparison trap. Next to that person, I look, I look pretty I look pretty good, or the opposite is true. We see someone who does a lot of good, and then we feel bad about ourselves. I like what Tim Keller says here. He says, if we think we are not all that bad, the idea of grace will never change us. If we think that we're not all that bad, the idea of grace will never change us. So what Jesus does is he gets to the bottom of all this. He gets to the bottom of all those who are trying to keep the law perfectly and think that they're righteous in their own eyes. And then for those who feel like they're failures, there's hope in God's grace through faith in his son, Jesus. This, this, listen, this is so freeing for us here this morning. And I want you to get this. Because for some of us, we feel like failures because we're not doing enough. And then for some of us, we feel like failures because we feel like, well, you know, did I do enough? Am I checking all the righteous boxes? And here's what Jesus does for us. He kind of blows everything out of the water. For the self-righteous Pharisee who thinks they're better than everybody else because they're checking all the law boxes. And then for those who have been kicked out 
of the church or, or kicked out of a relationship with God because they feel like they don't follow everything. They didn't follow the law per- perfectly. They're, here Jesus blows this all the way. And here's what Jesus says. He says, even if you look at a, a man or a woman lustfully, you've committed the act of adultery in your heart. Ooh, whoa, whoa. Where is he going? Right to the heart. He says, even if you harbor hatred in your heart towards someone else, you've committed murder in your heart. And here's what Jesus says. The truth of it is, no matter how righteous you think or don't think you are, we are all lawbreakers. We've all broken the law of God. And until we get to that point in our life that we are lawbreakers, we will never understand the grace by which we are saved. We have to get to that point in our life where we say, I am a lawbreaker. I don't care if you keep nine out of the ten, you're still a lawbreaker. I don't care if you keep 612 out of the 613, you broke them all. Every single one of us have broken the law of God. We've all lied at times. We've hated people in our hearts. We've looked lustfully on something. We've, we've, let's all be honest here. We've all been there. Amen. Can I, can I get a consensus? Everybody say amen. Amen. Okay, so we, we get that. So what this does is, so then you're saying, well, well, then pastor, what's the purpose of it all? The purpose of it all is to point for a need for a savior. Listen to this, because this is where I want to I wrap it all up. In the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, speaking through the word of God, prophesies about how God wants to grab our hearts. This language is so beautiful to me. This prophecy is so beautiful. Listen to what Jeremiah says. In Jeremiah 31, 33, he says, speaking the word of God, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put the law in their minds And I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. And they will be my people. God is saying the law is good, but what I'm going to do is I don't want this to be some cerebral thing that they're thinking about up here where they're just, okay, I I did everything right. I was, I was a good boy and I was a good girl. God, God said, no, I want to grab your hearts. I'm going to write this thing on your heart. And what we see is through the fulfillment of Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, this thing is fulfilled in our heart where God grabs our heart. You see, through Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the law goes from this external thing that we strive for to an indwelling reality. Do you see that? It's more than just something like, did I do the right thing? Did I stop? Okay, I recognize that I've fallen short of your glory. And God says, listen, my covenant, my unconditional love for you is going to remain the same, but I want to grab your hearts. And so through Jesus Christ, into the land of the Holy Spirit, the law goes from this external thing that we think about to actually something we strive for because it's an indwelling reality. And so what Paul says in Galatians 5, and 23, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no what? Law. See, all of a sudden, now this thing goes into our hearts. God grips our heart with this reality. There's a wonderful exchange that goes here. God's spirit is now the core of my life. Yes, we need the law to show that we've broken God's law and that we've fallen short of God's perfection. It gives us guardrails on how to live our lives correctly. And if you live within that, there is blessings. 
But that can't save you. Being a good Johnny and a good Susie or just being a good person, how many know that can't save you? The only thing that can save you is the reality of what Jesus Christ has done through us by faith. And because Jesus fulfilled all the law, God says, now through faith in Christ Jesus, I'm going to impute Christ's righteousness in your law just just as if you would have obeyed all my commands and all my laws. I want you to notice something there as I close up. I want you to notice something there. Paul says fruit, singular, with many attributes. See, the law was this external thing that people strived for, but God now places his spirit within us. This is something that is deep within us, and the fruit that God wants us to see is symmetrical. It's not, these, it's not all these individual things like we say to ourselves, well, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm really self-controlled, but I'm not real patient. Because even John says, he says, if, 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 if you love God and hate your brother, you're what? You're a liar. He didn't say, if you love God and hate your bro- and tolerate your brother, it's okay. You can't have one without the other. It's the same with the fruit. You can't have one without the other, right? It's this thing that's growing in our lives together. Because you could be a patient person. That could just be your attribute. How many of you just are more patient, right? And how many of you are just more irritating? right? You just, that's part of your, that may be part of your, some people are more gentle, right? That's just part of their natural makeup. And some people are, they may be gentle, but they may not be faithful. That's not what, that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about the spirit that's within us, the Holy Spirit that's within us. You see, the fruit of the spirit is not merely a character trait. Some people are nicer than others or more generous or more faithful. Here's the deal. The fruit of the Spirit is what distinguishes my growth in Christ, period. Period. That's what distinguishes my growth in Christ. Not all your check marks of how well you did, how many times you went to church. That's all great things, right? We need to do those things. But what distinguishes my growth in Christ is the fruit of the Spirit. That's the work of God within us. How many of you love apples? You better. We're from Wayne County. We better love apples, right? See, Thursday morning, we're doing a study with our men's group through the book of Galatians. We've been in it for like eight years, but we're going line by line. It's just a great study. I love this illustration. One of the books that we were reading says this. I love this. It's so good. It says, do apples on a tree make the tree alive? If you were to tie apples on the branches of a dead tree, it wouldn't make it alive. The apples do not give life to the tree. Healthy apples are a sign that the tree is alive. Somebody say amen. See, all your works doesn't necessarily mean that you are alive in Christ. That's why the law couldn't save. It could just point to our guilt, which it's good and it needs to. But we need something deeper. We need a transformation of our hearts. We need to be redeemed through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We need to be filled with his spirit to walk in his will.
See, we know apples don't grow overnight. It grows gradually. We see our growth. We see our growth when, diffi when difficulty comes our way. We need to be able to say to ourselves, wow, two years ago, I wouldn't have responded that way. That's when you know God is doing that deep work in your heart and that he's grabbed you, that, his, that you're yielding to his spirit. And how many know it doesn't happen? Apples don't grow overnight, right? It takes time, right? And so with the spirit of God, it, it grows as we continue to yield ourselves to the Lord, as we immerse ourselves in God's word, as we, as we seek God's face, we keep yielding our mind and our hearts over to the will of the Father, and he does that deeper work in our heart. And we can see that over time, especially when trials and difficulties come. We can see, wow, God, man, wow. Sometimes you just, you ever catch yourself like, wow. I would have reacted so much different there. Thank you, Jesus. No glory to me, glory to you, God, because I know that your spirit's working in me because three years ago, I would have slapped that person silly, right? Or I would have gave them a, a, a few choice words. That's, that's, that's undercover for, I probably would have cussed my head off at him, right? But I, I held back. I didn't do it. There was control. See, that's when you know the spirit of God's working in your heart. So what this shows us is that the spirit without notice has been growing in us. So here's my question to you to hear today. Is my life pleasing to God? Is my life pleasing to God? So here's what I want to pray for you today as we just close the service today. How are you pursuing the Lord in your life? And let me say this. Knowledge is great and we need to pursue God and we need to know the word. That's great. We should be doing that. But what begins to happen if we're not careful is our knowledge can begin to puff us up and we can think that we're better than other people or other Christians and we lose our sensitivity to God. There has to be a balance of humility in our life that God is your spirit really yielding. And when I look at this list of the fruit, do, am I noticing a growth in my life? Not, not have I memorized more scripture, which is great, that, that's that. Listen, listen, look at me here. Look at me, look at me. This is where we get it wrong. Right? I think it's great. I think we should all read through the Bible. I think we should be studying the Bible. I think you should be memorized. All those things are great, but that should never trump, that should never, ever, ever trump your heart for God, that you use that and then God's not speaking to you and then you're blowing up at your wife. Listen to me. You're impatient. You're not showing love to your neighbor. Now, how many of us all know we make mistakes, right? We all do. But if I'm not realizing those mistakes and confessing those sins before the Lord, see, what God is showing you by those, by those different situations, he's showing you, hey, Barden, hey, Barden, yeah, great you read through the Bible in one year, goody, goody for you. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That person that cut you off the other day, you didn't play nice, nice. You see what I'm saying? 
That's when God shows you, wait a minute. The word's here. It ain't getting here. Right? That's where the reality sets in. God said to Israel, I'm going to take your heart of stone. I'm going to make it a heart of flesh. I want to know you. I want you to love me with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. Do you love me? If you do, then follow my commands. And then you know what? The commands aren't a burden. Serving the Lord is not a burden. It's a joy now because I know the Lord wants to protect me because he loves me. Not because he wants to take joy out of my life. It's because he knows what's best for me because he's a perfect God in every way. So ask yourself, how am I striving after God? God, are you grabbing my heart? Are you humbling me in the situations that I need to be humbled in? When a situation comes up that that is unbecoming of being a Christian, am I blowing that off by just saying, well, that person just irritated me. I had a bad day, blah, blah, blah. Or do I say, wait a minute, God, there's something deeper going on in my heart that you want to speak to me in. Are you vulnerable before the Lord to allow him to deal with your heart in that way? That's what he wants. That's what he wants. And all the other things, the Bible reading, great, good, good, good. But let it be motivated out of my passion to know God. And allow the Bible to be applied to your heart and life. That you might see that consistent growth in your walk with Christ. And so here's what you do. Here's what you do. When a situation comes up that tests you, that tests your patience, that tests your love, blah, 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 blah. Take note and take inventory and examine your heart on how you reacted in that situation and allow God to examine you and say, "Mm, got some work to do, God, but that's okay because I know you love me. And I want to give this to you because I want to keep growing in you and keep yielding my life to you, Lord, because I want you to use me the way you desire to use me for your purposes and for your glory. Amen. How many are thankful for God's patience today? Amen. Good. I'm so thankful that God hasn't given up on Barton Joyce. Right? the rebel motorcycle rider on riding everybody else's property, right? He's, he's patient with us today. Thank God for his word today. So would you stand with me today? And let's pray as I just let you go into this beautiful day. Listen, as I let you go today and we just pray, um, if any of you need prayer today, our prayer partners will be up front for whatever you're going through. Maybe you're just having a bad week. Maybe you're having a bad, bad day. Maybe you're having, just having a bad year. Uh, we want to pray with you and, and, and let you know. All the There's prayer cards in the back of your seat. Um, by all means, fill those out. We pray for all those needs every Tuesday at prayer. So uh, feel free to take advantage of that. We want you to know that we love you and care for you, that we'll lift those needs up before the Lord. So, Lord, we just come before you today. and Thank you, Lord, that you work with us, that you want to work in us and through us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And I pray for every person here today that either A, may feel like a failure or feel like they've 
like they just didn't measure up. And I thank you that it's by your grace, God, that we're saved today through our faith in Christ Jesus. And I pray for anyone here today that has not made that commitment to you, that they would do that right now. That even with our messy past, you cover that through the blood of Jesus Christ and you redeem us and you change us. Lord, we thank you for your law. It's good. It can't save us, but it's good because it shows us how holy you are. And it gives us, it gives us guardrails in our lives to what you expect and what you desire. So we thank you for it. Help us to live in obedience to you through the love of Christ and the grace that was bestowed upon us that, that none of us in this place ever deserved or merited. So we thank you for your beautiful, beautiful grace. I pray for anyone here today that's just struggling with their lives, struggling with their identity and who they are. Jesus, I pray that you would reveal to them what you have done for them and how much you care for them and how much you love them. So bring your healing touch to every life here today, God, as we just submit ourselves to you. I thank you for living word. Lord, I pray you would continue to use us for your purposes and your glory, that you would bind us together with cords that could not easily be broken, that this world and anyone that steps foot in this place would realize this is a church that loves Jesus and wants them to know Jesus too, that all can come to Christ, that all can come. So God, we ask that you would receive us now with all our faults, all our frailties. We lay them at your feet and we thank you, Jesus, for loving us today. You're so good. You're so perfect in every way. May we continue to yield to your spirit. May we allow our lives to be reflective of what you've done in us. For we ask all these things in Jesus' beautiful name. And all God's children said, amen, amen. Let's just thank the Lord. He's good. Amen. 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 You guys are dismissed. Go in God's grace. You need prayer. Come on out. We'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, enjoy your day. God bless you.